Hello, and welcome to the Podcast of Power, a She-Ra and the Princesses of Power companion and rewatch podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Nero. And I'm the other host, Jane. Boy, uh, it's been quite a response since our, our guest spot on the Progressive of Power podcast. The, uh, the numbers keep going up and, and we're, you're sending in more questions and we couldn't be happier with it. We're so blown away by the amount of, of uh, support and engagement we've gotten lately. Yeah, it's been really, really, really fun. Like, numbers do go up. And uh, I think before we did the guest spot, we were sitting at around 100 total downloads. And now we're at, like, what, 800? Yeah, we're, we're just over 800, um, which is, you know, that's a huge increase. I mean, I could go and get the percent number, but I don't want to brag too much. No, yeah, but still it's like it's it's a lot more than than i would have ever expected like this is kind of just our our fun little funny space for us to geek out about a show that we like very much and we're super happy that everyone seems to be enjoying it yeah it turns out people love this show and that it might actually be a very good uh, television show yeah i i think i think we covered that in our first episode actually i think it might be pretty good it's it's probably pretty good um so for this episode, we we're going to be covering uh, season one, episode twelve, which is called Light Hope. Uh, it is mostly about the titular character of Light Hope. This episode is kind of a huge lore dump. We get a whole bunch of stuff explained to us in this episode. It's basically exclusively um, exposition and with some character moments sprinkled in there. Um, but despite that, I think it's a very fun episode. They managed to keep things visually interesting and throw in enough like other stuff so that it isn't just very dry or very, uh, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah, I I think that overall in season one, if I had to say what maybe the weakest episode is, I would say that um, this is this is close to one of the weaker ones just because like you know, even even with all the effort they put into making it not dry, it does still get a little dry at times, especially when Light Hope is doing her uh, big exposition speech. But they really, they pepper it with a lot of humor and they pepper it with a lot of um, just fun little character interactions. And, and that helps kind of kind of get through it. And it's sort of a necessary evil a little bit. You know, you kind of have to have uh, a couple of episodes here and there where you just explain uh, to the audience like kind of the background of what you're about to get into. But yeah, and honestly, the lore is pretty interesting too. So that helps a lot. Yeah, I love the, the lore of this show. And this is the sort of first big step you get in exploring that. Everything else has been sort of hints and, and, and breadcrumb trails in previous episodes. But now we finally get a big, a big sizable chunk of information about what exactly is going on here. Uh, I think part of the reason that this episode uh, goes down easy, so to speak, is the character, uh, the expression work in this episode is uh, absolutely fantastic. The storyboard team for this episode shares a name with another episode that we talked about having really good expressions earlier in the show, the Entrapta debut episode, System Failure. Uh, and that name would be Angela Kim. She uh, is uh, someone that they, they sort of point to as the one responsible for a lot of Entrapta's 
development as a character behind the scenes and she works on a lot of entrapped eccentric episodes like i would say this one is fairly entrapped eccentric um and yeah the the expressions are they it's not just the completely gonzo comedic expressions either because there are a bunch of those uh glimmer especially gets very cartoony uh over the course of this episode yeah oh i love it it's like we had, uh, you know, in the Entrapta introduction episode, we had uh, we had Glimmer Pog, um, and then this one we've got just just a, a real smorgasbord of of cartoony bug-eyed Glimmer, and it's it's pretty fun. And it's not just yeah, like I said, it's not just the the fun cartoony stuff either, which, of which there is a lot. It is also the the dramatic expressions are heightened as well. One thing I noticed when Adora is is talking to Light Hope about that about her friends her eyebrows are extremely mobile and expressive during that entire scene yeah it's it's really good like the little touches do a lot for me like there's also a bit where um entrapta uh gets very very excited about the idea of like being able to uh to share her theories with someone which uh has never happened before and um her her hair bushes up like and and her her whole face just lights up in in this very very like this very good way and uh yeah it's they did a really good job with just making everybody feel like very expressive and like their emotions are really uh well illustrated which is impressive considering that one of the principal characters of this episode is indeed a horse that's true the i will say the one the one thing about swift winds for me i love swift winds expressions i love swift winds uh like character acting it's kind of weird how he sort of has a human mouth we don't think about that don't make (laughs) me think about the horse with the human mouth (laughs) listen i I, i've been thinking about it all episode since i noticed it and i'm just like oh oh that is a human mouth i don't know what would be worse if he had a you know a human mouth or if he was talking with a horse mouth i honestly don't know and i don't want to think about it god but that should we should talk about Swift in a little bit because this is kind of his big entrance into the show. Obviously, he was, you know, introduced before as Adora's steed, but he kind of vanished for a very long time after the Raz episode. He, I don't think he showed up at all between then and now. Yeah, and he was also kind of just an animal a little bit. Like he didn't have uh, voice lines or anything like that, but now, uh, now he seems to have gained, like, complete sentience and the ability to talk, and he has a lot of things to say. You know, can I tell you something about Swiftwind? What would you like to tell us about Swiftwind? When I was first, when I was first watching this episode, I didn't, when I was first watching this show, I should say, I didn't know Swiftwind was going to talk. I had no idea. I didn't... He talks in the original Shira, but I didn't know anything about the original Shira, so I didn't know that. I just thought that her steed was like a unicorn, um, like like He Man's battle. He Man's battle cat doesn't talk; it just makes cat noises. So when I watched this episode and Swiftwind started talking, I had an immediate visceral reaction to it, um, and that visceral reaction was rejection. Yeah, I feel like I was in the same spot. I was like very immediate, like, oh god, talking animal companion, oh god. However, it turns out that Swiftwind is a lot more than that. 
yeah, he is uh, dramatically more than that. Um, honestly, he doesn't even really fit the archetype of like funny animal companion the vast majority of the time, uh, which, by the way, is uh, very welcome because most of the time that is not a particularly good archetype. But um, yeah, so our friend Swiftwind here is a very good friend, and um, he's also uh, a uh, horse abolitionist. He is all about the uh, the freedom of horses. He he has been. We learned what he's been doing the entire season in this episode. He's apparently just been flying around, kicking down barn doors, and freeing his comrades. Yeah, Comrade Swiftwind is is so powerful. Like uh, I love I I love it very very much. Just going around and freeing the the oppressed uh, horse letariat named himself after the swift winds of revolution that is a such a good line it's really good i i love our communist horse unicorn friend yeah unfortunately this bit sort of gets dropped as the show goes on he never really talks about the horse letariat all that it comes up from time to time but you know he has other things to worry and talk about after this yeah i'm sure i'm sure uh post game uh I'm sure post game his his life is dedicated to uh, breaking the chains for all horse kinds. Oh, assuredly he will he will be flying all over the planet, freeing every single horse still bound by the chains uh, that, of which that humans have put them in. Exactly, exactly. Um, Swiftwind's role in this episode is, is sort of mostly tied to Bow and Glimmer. Uh, with with a, I think he has a really good conversation with Adora at the end though, but we'll get there later i think uh because i think we need to talk about the the titular character of this episode for a bit the the enigmatic light hope finally fully revealed uh to the audience yes uh light hope finally makes her big appearance and uh she has this very long kind of introductory spiel um as uh, Ethereus facilitator. Uh, but before she gets to that, um, she's kind of just explaining to Adora, like, hi, this is who I am. You know, I've been watching you since you were uh, an infant, and Adora finds that kind of creepy. Light Hope doesn't exactly come across great in this episode, I don't think. She comes across as a little bit off. Yeah, there's like... The thing about Light Hope, right, is that she comes off very, very manipulative. Like, there's this... Like, her first interaction with her is generally... Is, is kind of characterized by, like... You know, I picked this form of my body to, to whatever would make you the most comfortable and receptive. Do I need to pick something else? And then she turns into, like, a creepy little child. Uh, and then she starts going, like... Turning into, like, a Picasso painting a little bit. Uh... Yeah, I don't know what that happens off screen. I don't know what she was turning into there. Yeah, thankfully, thankfully we don't have to see that. Um, but yeah, she like spends uh, basically the entire time just like really heavily trying to impress on to Adora how she's been chosen and it's her destiny. It's like it's really, really important for her to like balance the planet and whatever. And when Adora starts, you know, interrupting her, like, hey, you know, this is all great and all. Uh love, love this. I'm happy to be, you know, the She-Ra. But my friend is kind of in horrible agony and I came here to heal her, so can you teach me how to do that? And Lay Hope 
uh, doesn't like that she said that. No, she does the, you know, the, she says that you, you need to stop worrying about your friends. You'll be able to help them indirectly by balancing the planet if you just stay here and train. And how long will training take? I don't know. Years. Yeah, you know, years of your life. And, you know, Dora's like, hey, but what about my friend who's very hurt? What am I supposed to do about that? And then she does this bit where she starts pulling memories um, like the uh, the memory chamber was doing uh, in Promise. And they're all very traumatic memories of her friends being hurt. And she's like, she's like, yeah, Dora, like, you know, it seems like your friends are getting hurt around you. Maybe you should just let them go. Yeah, it's the, the in specific, the, the memories she pulls are in order. Uh, Bow and Glimmer passed out in Mysticore during Shadow Weaver's attack. Uh, Catra leaving her in the second episode. Like that look Catra gives before she, she runs away. Um, and this one's the most messed up one because Adora thinks she's dead. But uh, Entrapta saying, you know, smiling and saying she needs a little more time. That one is the one I think that is the most, uh, the most like red flag there of like why this is this does not seem to be the the work of a benevolent mentor at all no not at all also uh she does also include the bit where um glimmer was being electrically tortured uh just screaming in pain that that's also in there which by the way is, is all all of this is paired with light hope saying well i mean all of this happened kind of indirectly because of you wouldn't don't you think maybe they'd be a little bit better off if you stay down here and trained that you would just isolate yourself which is not no no it's it's quite bad and actually literally i just thought about this light hope does the shoulder touch yeah we talked if you listened to the spoiler zone in the previous episode we did talk a little bit about some of the parallels between light hope and shadow weaver that become clear i forgot how early they become clear because this is starting immediately yeah they kind of just dive right into it uh i mean light hope shadow weaver it's it's even there in the name and it turns out that they are two sides of the same coin a little bit here even if light hope's you know goals are a little bit you know they aren't selfish like shadow weavers are she's still going about it in a very similar way maybe a less physical and direct way but still one that that preys on emotional insecurity yeah exactly like it's they're they're both just extraordinarily manipulative characters and they they both just really don't possess like a moral code of any kind they're they're willing to do you know anything to achieve their goals and yeah, it kind of lets them do a lot of really messed up stuff. I guess Light Hope has the excuse of being like a hologram computer or something for not possessing a moral compass, but Shadow Weaver doesn't really have any excuse. She's just like that. Yeah, she is just like that. But uh, yeah, then, you know, she... The setup for this is weird because when they find Adora, she's like laying on a bed unconscious in the Crystal Castle. Oh, yeah. I I didn't think about that, actually. Yeah, so... Which, by the way, um, another, yet another parallel, she was also tied to a bed and restrained in an earlier episode by guess who? Shadow Weaver. Oh, 
Yeah, that's a good that's a good point. Actually, not only is she tied up in a bed and restrained, but she is also having her mind manipulated, just the way more or less that Shadow Weaver like was planning on doing. Not quite as direct, but very similar. Yes, yeah, she is she is being influenced by someone. Yeah, a lot of lot of gaslighting, a lot of like a lot of emotional manipulation in there. And yeah, the thing about the bed is strange cuz I'm just thinking about it like I wonder if like the cliff like was that simulated? Like is like was the floor flat the whole time and it just kind of did like a like a spy kids like the the floor fake opens up and you feel like you're going to fall into it but then you don't. I really like that your touchstone was spy kids. It's very excellent. My touchstone has been Spy Kids a few times in this in this show. It's there's a lot of visual similarities. A little bit, yeah. Can we get can we get Robert Rodriguez to guess on the pod? Do you think? Oh God, that would be a dream. That would be amazing. It'd be great. Um, there'd be no reason to do it. I don't think he has any connection to this show. It would just be pretty good. Yeah, just get Robert Rodriguez to like watch Shira with us and then just talk about it for like an hour. I mean, he'd be into it, weirdly enough. I feel like he'd be into it, yeah. But uh, regardless, we should. I think we should get into the hor- the uh, the horde stuff, the fright zone stuff now, because the this big exposition dump kind of has two sides to it. One of them is uh, Light Hope telling Adora all about the first ones and what Shira is actually like for, what her destiny is. The other side is about how the first one's technology runs way 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 deep in etheria and apparently the rune stones are are needed to keep the balance of of the planet's magic or else some really really whack stuff is going to happen yeah so entrapta entrapta is very excited to talk about this because it seems like she's had a lot of theories over time about like what the deal is with etheria why is etheria the way it is why um, is there so much technology left behind? And it turns out um, that what she finds on uh, the data disk is the whole planet was kind of an experiment, right? Like it was it was entirely like basically mined out and just filled with massive geoengineering projects um, and all of which kind of ties into uh, the the runestone network. And uh, something that she she talks about is the idea that because of the runestone network and how integrated it it is uh, to the whole thing, that the princesses themselves are the best way to hack the planet. Uh, which, by the way, what a what a lion! What a hacker's reference! I think it is a hacker's reference. I haven't watched that movie in a long time. I haven't watched it. Period, which is weird because it's right up my alley. Ah, uh, we should watch it actually. Maybe it could be a future bonus episode or something. I don't know. Hey, there we go. Uh, but yeah, so she gets she gets very excited talking about it, and she's she's talking about hey, you know, we could we could maybe like use uh, a runestone to try and you know mess with the with the balance of the planet and whatever. She's like, oh, it's such a shame that you know we don't have access to one. They're so hard to get to because there's only like a couple of them. And Scorpius like, oh, uh, we just like have one here. Uh, you see my family's, um, and Trapp is very excited to hear that. Yeah, she's she's never had a runestone to play with before. She's she's extremely excited. She's extremely excited about all of these developments. And you know, our our friend, the little narc imp, is listening in the rafters. 
of course, and, and runs back to Hordak with this news. But this time it turns out uh, he likes it. He likes the idea of this and gives Catra the go-ahead to let Entrapta start futzing with the uh, Black Garnet. Yes, uh, which Shadow Weaver is not particularly enthused about. She's really mad when she comes in. She's utterly furious. The expressiveness we were talking about uh, earlier in the episode extends to her because when she comes in, her like little the end the tattered ends of her robe that kind of flitter along the ground are like huge and, and like spread out and waving like angry snakes as she's just screaming at Katra here. It's it's pretty intimidating, honestly. Yeah, like her hair's got kind of like a Medusa thing going on. Like she is extremely extremely mad and honestly like again it's it's impressive just how much character that they are capable of pulling out of the design of someone who nominally doesn't have a face you know like she just has an expressionless mask there's no like features on it it's basically just two eyes and a single red like just a uniform red color basically and they managed to make Shadow Weaver honestly one of the more expressive characters in the show. I think half of that work is also done by Lorraine Toussaint's voice acting. Oh, for sure. She's she's great in this scene. She's great in basically every scene she's in. And I really love how you can you can compare and contrast. Shadow Weaver is always turned up to eleven, but it's always in different ways. In uh, No Princess Left Behind, she's vamping it up for Glimmer. She's maximum camp, basically. She we, we said she is a '80s She-Ra villain in some of those scenes. Oh, for sure. And in this scene, she is similarly turned up to eleven, but there's no camp. She's just furious. She's just like big red and mad. Um, which Katra sort of has to handle here, as uh, even after Hordak calls in, he skypes in and tells her, "Listen, I or- I I authorize this. The Black Garnet is mine to give and take away. So you need to sit down and shut up and let the princess do whatever she wants, because whatever she does uh, helps us." Uh, Shadow Weaver doesn't agree with this sentiment at all. No, she she's not agreed. In fact, she basically just instantly is like absolutely not just like i am going to destroy all of you uh you're not taking away what is mine um and she goes for some kill shots on catra like she freezes uh and trapped on scorpion emily in like a stasis field you know kind of like what she did to baby catra but like catra is getting just like, she is going for kill shots on Katra right now, and uh, you like you can tell Katra is, is using every single inch of her training, both, like, horde training and also training from being just, you know, hurt by Shadow Weaver for many, many, many years um, to... Like, this, this is a fight that Katra has been thinking about for a long time. And it turns out thinking about defeating someone comes in handy when you're in a fight to the to uh to the well not really to the death i guess it was to the death on one end yeah it was it was definitely to the death on one end for sure but catra is a bit more magnanimous here and she instead just uh shatters shadow weaver's mask in the gym on her forehead that allows her to connect to the black garnet uh rendering her completely and utterly powerless 
Yes, and like her whole, as soon as that happens, her whole facade uh, cracks, just like the mask does. She just collapses to her knees, like her robe gets limp, her hair goes limp, she just, her arms fall to her side, she just immediately looks so powerless, and she just looks like she's given up as soon as, like, as soon as it's over like she's she's desperately picking up the pieces of the little gem that was in her forehead and she's trying to piece it back together she knows that it won't work but she's like she's begging she's begging the little pieces of inanimate object to just go back together and come back to her uh unfortunately that's not how that works nope her connection to the garnet has been completely severed um she's easily restrained by scorpia and this allows catch uh, the Superpal Trio, as they are named by Scorpia in this episode, to go ahead and hack the Black Garnet and get real weird with it. Yeah, they do get real weird, weird with it real quick, and uh, a gigantic beam of dark energy just shoots into the sky and uh, they start messing with the climate a little bit. You know, there's, there's a little bit of... Uh, situations going on swift wind uh just gets this horrible horrible gut feeling about it um and the the whispering woods freeze over in like two seconds kind of a day after tomorrow situation watch out for wolves and russian oil tankers in that case yeah we should uh before we get to the end of this episode and the the sort of big uh swift wind and adora conversation I think we should swing back to the beginning for a minute to talk about this brief scene between Angela and Glimmer. Yeah, I I love that scene a lot, actually. It's really brief, and it doesn't really tell us any new information or anything like that. Like, it's not... uh, What I I like, um, one thing that this show does, is it has these little moments of reinforcement after making, like, a large character point. Um, and a lot of shows don't really do that, where you'll have, like, a big character moment like uh, Glimmer and uh, Queen Angela having, like, this this fight and, and catharsis where, you know, they they have that realization with each other that Glimmer needs to, to have a little more autonomy and she needs to be trusted more and Glimmer needs to not give up and that sort of thing. A lot of shows would kind of just leave it at that and, you know that's okay but i really enjoy how much time is dedicated over the course of the show to reinforcing those little points like in this conversation you know angela shows up and she's like hey listen you know we 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 talked about this you know i don't want you to feel like afraid to to continue uh doing what you need to do i don't want you to to end up like me I want you to go out and save your friends, um, take this weird talking horse with you, um, and, you know, have, you know, be safe and whatever. Yeah, it's a great, like you said, it just reinforces the the thing that happened at the end of the beacon. And, and, and you know, it's a forward, it's a step forward in, in these two characters' relationship that, that marks this progress. Like, there, there wasn't just a big cathartic moment, and then it's sort of back to business as usual. It is, the progress stays. It's not, you know, forgotten about. Yeah, there's always, 
forward movement, which I really like. And it's like, I don't know, I like that, that, that development of the character dynamics. Like now Glimmer doesn't have to spend the time worrying about sneaking out of the castle to go and do a mission. Like now her mom is like, yeah, go, go do this. And like, there's not like, there's a little more openness between them. There's like more communication and you can tell that like, this is like a big step for the both of them for Glimmer to not feel like she has to be really like sneaky and stuff like that. It's just, it's nice. It's a really nice little character moment. So let's, let's finish off this, this sort of section by talking about this, uh, some of the stuff here between Swiftwind and Adora. And also one detail that we didn't bring up in the, in the lore, the lore dump that Light Hope gives, she tells Adora about a previous She-Ra who is the reason that they're sort of in this situation. Yes. So Lighthope talks about how the line of Shirar was broken and there hasn't been a Shirar in a thousand years. And of course, that's some pretty heavy stuff. Turns out um, the reason for this is because of the last Shirar, Mara, who uh, apparently lost control, wasn't able to handle the power that was uh, bestowed upon her, and uh, she was compromised and um, used her uh, She-Ra powers to trap all of Etheria in the dimension of Despondos, which is uh, a place with no stars, apparently. Just some kind of empty pocket dimension. The only thing in it is Etheria and its moon system. That's it. Which, if you'll, if you uh, pay attention in some of the previous uh, episodes, they do always talk about moon rises. They, uh, Etheria does not have a sun. Yes, it's 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 interesting. It's like I guess the moons are just made out of something that glows quite well because they do like they are a very well lit planet. So I imagine, yeah, they've got like some sort of artificial sun situation going on, probably made by the first ones. Something like that. Or maybe it's just magic. The moons are just magic. Etheria is just is, is chock full of magic. Um, but yeah, Sw- uh, Bo, Glimmer, and Swiftwind finally get to the beacon. Uh, turns out Swiftwind's horn is a key, which is very nice. And very convenient. They get to the beacon, uh, or rather, we, now we know is the, uh, the Crystal Castle. And... They, uh, they find Adora just sort of lying comatose on this weird crystal bed thing and and swift wind kind of jacks into light hope's mind palace yes uh, and he just sort of he interrupts light hope kind of mid-sentence just uh kind of kicks her out for a second shows up and is like hey guess what i'm swift wind i'm a talking horse um your friend the talking horse uh adora of course has a uh very similar reaction to bow and glimmer just like losing her mind at the talking horse yeah I mean, I would too, to be fair, if a horse showed up and started talking. Regardless, uh, this is sort of where Swiftwind kind of proves he is not exactly just the the goofy animal companion. Which, and also, by the way, some uh, once again, I want to shout out just some fantastic expressions here in this scene from Adora, where she's just completely gobsmacked by this talking unicorn she is uh, she is standing in front of here. Yeah, really, really good expressions. Uh, but yeah, like Swiftwind is like, hey, listen, you know, this is this is dumb. Like, what you're doing right now, 
is stupid. You know, and Adora's just like, what? No, I'm trying to protect my friends. Lay Hope said so. It's it's true. I, I hurt everyone I touch. And then Sylphen's like, all you're doing right now is moping, um, and your friends are in trouble. You should probably go help them. Right. Like, he, he is not one to beat around the bush. He's had complex thought for a week, and he's like, listen, even I know you're being completely dense here. You're just... Get over yourself. It's time to go. We, we got to save your friends. To, yeah, come on, let's get out of here. Um, you know, I, this horse is actually giving some very solid life advice to Adora. Yeah, it's like, it is actually a very solid pep talk. It is like exactly the pep talk that Adora needs, I feel like, most of the time. Just like an extremely blunt, hey, listen, Adora, here's the thing. You're being really dumb. I need to stop being really dumb for a second. Right. I mean... Obviously, you know, all of this, you know, kind of reminds me of Empire Strikes Back. Yoda had the same spiel about you, you don't worry about your friends, focus on your training. You just need to defeat Vader. Obviously, Luke abandons that training, similar to how Adora does in this episode. But with all that, we, we sort of end as the skies of Etheria darken and, you know, the, the, the storm's getting worse and Catcher looks at all of this chaos um, on her perch in the Fright Zone and says, oh, I can, I can work with this. I can, I can make this one work here in my favor. Yeah, she's quite excited about the, uh, the possibility space uh, that's being presented. And with that, I think that's all uh, we have to talk about here in this episode. Once again, there's, it, it's mostly a lot of exposition, a lot of talking about the, the, the goings-on in the background, which, don't worry, we, we will have a lot to talk about in the spoilers zone, actually, because a bunch of stuff gets set up in this episode that pays off later. But before we get to the spoiler zone, we have quite a few questions, actually. Yes, we have some. We have a lot of viewer engagement for, uh, for this week, which I'm super excited about. Real quick, before we get started, though, I, want, I did want to shout out, we got a couple of emails here in the, in the, in the email uh, thing. We won't, I don't think we're, we're going to be hitting them this week because they are quite long and quite spoilery. But I just wanted to shout out Harry and someone who only signed their email as content consumer. Big fan. Yeah, great fan of that name. We, we've decided what we're going to do for you guys. After, we've, uh, after we wrap on season one, we're just going to do a big email episode for you guys' emails where we go over them and talk about it. Uh, that one's going to be spoilery, so if you are watching this and you don't want to get spoiled on anything, I would skip that one. Uh, but it's just, it would just be a good place to sort of gather our thoughts after this season and kind of uh, go on from there. So just wanted to shout that out. Yeah, that'll be that'll be a very fun bonus episode. I'm excited for that one, actually. Well, if we move over to uh, the Curious Cat row, we've got a few here, all from anonymous Curious Cat users. Um, first one out here, uh, Light Hope puts up projections of princesses who are needed to balance the planet. Who are the princesses we never meet? So there's a scene when she's explaining how the runestones work where a bunch of different silhouettes pop up that we don't exactly, we, they don't, some of them are obviously like, uh, there's Spinderella, there's Natasha, there's Angela, Glimmer, Perfuma, all that stuff. But there's some of them that don't really have any analogs at all. There's like a yellow one with some horns. There's like, there's a lot of weird ones in that scene that we never really meet. Um, there's a spinoff book that 
I believe Noelle Stevenson wrote called The Legend of the Flame Princess um, that I believe is about some kind of old broken runestone. I don't know if one of these is her or not, but it is certainly something that is kind of enduring. Like, there's a lot more princesses than we, you know, really interact with here. Yeah, so we see a lot of princesses here. We got 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 princesses, and I assume uh, Adora's uh, the 13th here. So just a few that pop out here. Uh, we got a scorpion lady over here, obviously tied to Scorpia, if not actually just Scorpia. I think it is just Scorpia. Uh, that one's a kind of... That one's accounted for. I believe we we got Mermista down there. We got Spinnerella, Natasa. Um, there's this person with the horns in yellow. There is someone wearing a long green robe. Like a cloak, yeah. Next to, like a big cloak next to Frosta. Uh, there's... Just like a cat person? Yeah, there's like a cat person with a cat tail up there. And then two that I can't really see any details on they're just kind of generic looking silhouettes yeah you got one who kind of is like pink and like a suit maybe yeah so it looks like we got four five five princesses that are just not like accounted for i have to wonder if some of these are original she-ra characters um we wouldn't know but i would bet Maybe a couple of them. I think... I don't know how many princesses are unaccounted for in this show. I, be, I believe uh, one of them is, is Princess Peaky Blue, who has the, 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 the gift of farsight, who is not... Uh, men, that, was, that was mentioned in the Princess Prom episode. Like, we don't know much about the original Shira lore, so there's probably a couple of these that can be mapped to those. I don't know about the cat person, though. Yeah, that's interesting. I... I don't know. It's like, yeah, I would assume that these are like basically cameos um, from the original She-Ra. It's, I think that it's probably a positive thing that they kind of pared down like the princesses that we interact with um, in the show. Yeah, this is a big, this is a big, big group. I think, what do we have? Like four, four is more than enough. Well, no, because we have, we have five, right? Well, I'm not kind of glimmer. I'm just counting, uh, let's see, Perfuma. Mermista, Frosta, and Entrapta. Right. Yeah, that's four. Um, who, uh, notably Entrapta, not here, because she doesn't have a runestone. Yes, that's that's one of the things. It seems like there are princesses in title, and then you have princesses in, like, function. Like, there's kind of a dichotomy. Yeah, they just someone being called a princess doesn't exactly mean that they are a capital P princess. It's a you know it's a proper noun thing. Yeah, it's kind of like uh, like a fable situation a little bit. Like there's a hero and there's like the hero, which is like a whole like blood lineage thing. Right. Uh, moving on to the next curious catcher question. Here we've got: uh, Is there any particular element you would have liked to see expanded in the show? whether uh, character or world-related. Uh, for me, it would be Spinderella and Natasha's kingdoms and how they rule them, or how the earliest first ones interacted with Etheria. Those are both really good examples. It's, it's always, it was always weird to me how we never really learned anything about Spinderella and Natasha. Yeah, like, they, they're, they're largely kind of 
side characters, and I think that generally that's okay, but it would be nice to get a little bit more info um, about them and, and their sort of situation. I feel like if there's one thing I really want to see them do a little more with, I kind of would have wanted to see, like, who, like, the previous alliance was. Like, some information about that would be kind of cool. Yeah, that that's a really good point, actually. We literally never meet any of the previous alliance other than Angela. We never learn about the these princesses' predecessors, or even if they're, like, alive or not. They just seem to be completely vanished. So, like, whatever happened there, I don't know. For me, I think what I would have liked to see a little bit more of is some more stuff with the Horde trio. Not the Super Pal trio, but Kyle, Lonnie, and Rogelio. I think the stuff that they get in the show is good, but I feel like there was a bit more there that you could have explored with them. Um, And I understand it's a short show. It's only a 50 or 51 episodes, and and ultimately they are very, very minor characters in in the supporting cast. But still, they... um, they're a part of the the show, and, and both of them have very strong ties to our leads, Catra and Adora, that I just wanted to see explored a little bit deeper. No, yeah, it's... They're, they're, in, they're very, very interesting, and they kind of... They have these, like, pretty good parallels, I feel like, to the other friend groups in the show, and it just would have been... It would have been fun to be able to see a little more about that. There's, uh... I'm pretty sure... I don't know if it ends up being talked about at any point in the show, and I guess this is, like, a really tiny spoiler, um, but somebody at some point talks about, uh, Kyle and Rogelio kind of having a thing, which is just really cute, I think. Yeah, that, that's talked about in, in, by a character in season five, I believe. Um, yeah, the, the, and you can see, I feel like in, um, there's a lot of times where Rogelio just has his arm around Kyle or whatever, it's it's a it's very cute and I really would have liked to see a little bit more. They get a great spotlight episode later on in the show, but that's really their their moment to moment to shine and after that they just sort of exit the show. Yeah. Like I think that season 4 is where we get the most of their stuff. Yeah, we we get a we get a lot of them in season 4 and they kind of they kind of drop off the map a little bit in season 5. It was a little disappointing. I kind of was hoping that they would like they would show up a little more, especially in like the last uh, few episodes. But you know, I I think they 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 do get they do get a good amount of screen time. It's just yeah, it would have been nice to see a little more for sure. Like listen, I get it. The it's always a danger to overstuff your show. I think one of that's one of the big problems, Stephen. That that really uh, grounded Steven Universe. That really like tore it up. Was there was just so much stuff they put into the show that they couldn't they either couldn't focus on or couldn't like pull away from and it just ended up having a very uneven ending because of that and so i think this show definitely avoids that by understanding its limits it's not going to be gluttonous about how many characters uh they're going to focus on or how many storylines they're going to give these characters yeah i think that's a really good point actually like that's that is definitely i think one of the seminal weaknesses of that show is just that and, like, it's a good idea, right? The idea of, like, okay, well, we want to give all of our supporting cast, like, at least one of their own episodes, usually more than one episode, and it's, like, it's, and it's, and it's cool, right? Like, I, I love, you know, having, like, little episodes dedicated to side characters and stuff, but that show just has a lot of side characters, and you end up in this situation where 
you dedicate so much time to all of these side characters that you kind of lose the plot a little bit and it it kind of muddies uh it kind of muddies the water and just makes things go on in a way that like it just it doesn't flow well for sure i believe we we've talked about that before that aspect of it but uh shira definitely is i think the best way to do it where they they roll all of these characters spotlight moments into episodes that are tied into some other arc with some other group of characters so that you know everyone gets a little bit of something yeah exactly it's and i think that's really the best way to do it to be honest with you it's like understanding the limitations of a character that you've designed like understanding that yes this is a side character they're very good but they are here to be a member of the supporting cast and you know understanding that limitation and working with it um i think is good you know it's that classic like um that classic idea of like limitations being like self-imposed limitation being like a really good way to enforce creativity you know right our last curious catcher question is kind of a doozy so this is this is talking about the 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 fight scene between shadow weaver and catcher at the end there Catcher makes the comments towards Shadow Weaver. I've learned everything from you, how to predict when you'll strike, how to dodge, how to resist. Uh, Shadow Weaver also says, that's right, run away. It's the only thing you've ever been good at while throwing dark magic at Catra. With these comments, along with the visual representation of abuse we saw in Promise, is this evidence of a lifetime of habitual physical abuse? Yes. Absolutely. Yes, it is. A hundred percent. No question whatsoever. In fact, I would say that Shadow Weaver as an abuser is like one of her central like core character themes. Like this show spends a lot of time talking about some pretty heavy subject matter. Um, it goes into a lot of pretty grim detail on on certain things. And you know, they try to keep it a little bit ambiguous and a little bit light because you know after all this is kind of like a you know y17 like teens show you know nominally um but yeah you know there's a lot of abuse uh that goes on um behind the scenes and on screen uh a decent amount of the time you know you don't you don't see a lot of the physicality of it um you definitely get the you definitely get the 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 physicality of it sometimes though like in promise the the f- the very painful looking paralysis spell on Katra like that i think is probably one of the moments we get i think that might be the most physical that she gets in the show i don't remember a time where she gets more physical than that but there's a lot of implication that she does a lot more than that there, there's a moment later on, but that situation is sort of different, um, which I won't talk about because it's spoilers. But yeah, they, the the sort of stasis electricity and promise is kind of the, the most the show. It, I think it's good that it's the most it's willing to actually show on screen because once again, like you said, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a show. It's like an all ages teens show. We don't need to get into this. However, it is very apparent from Shadow Weaver's comments and, and just how Catra is, that that is, that is their history. And it is interesting. Her abuse is central to her character, but it is the physicality of it is unique to Catra. 
with Adora, it never really got there, but she was she was still abused. But it was never in that way. With with some of the other things we learn about later, it would never got to that. But with Catra, it is very much that, and you know, it's 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 pretty it's some pretty dire stuff. And I think the show actually does uh, thread the needle and handle it really well. Yeah, I think I think it does too. One thing that is tricky when you're portraying uh, abuse on screen, right? It's it's very tricky because there is a there's a fine line you have to dance, right? Because you have the if you don't show enough, then you run into a situation where it's possible to dismiss or excuse those character actions as not being that bad. But if you show too much and if you show it incorrectly you can start to get voyeuristic about it and i think that generally this show like threads that needle really well um i can't think of any time that i feel like the show ever got voyeuristic about it honestly you know which which is really quite nice because again you you don't really see a very you don't see a lot of good portrayals of what this kind of parental abuse kind of looks like because it's a multifaceted thing here you know shadow weaver is abusing them in different ways and leverages them against each other like katra is a cudgel um used to kind of beat adora over the head um emotionally here like she's and i, and I touched on this a little bit last episode it's just like she's she's being used to as as punishment and reward for Adora, just kind of like, you know, if you're good and you do what I say, then Katra can can, you know, be safe and you can you can, you know, be with, with Katra and be friends and that sort of thing. But, you know, also by the same coin, it's like, you know, if you don't behave, you know, not only am I going to hurt Katra, but I might do the same thing to you if you step out of line too bad. So, you know, and that's a very real thing that happens in these kind of situations like you like a parent will kind of do this they'll they'll leverage you know they'll leverage you know multiple children kind of against each other in that way yeah there's a the, you know shadow weaver is a character with a lot of baggage and a lot of things to talk about and, and you know that's why we talk about her so much that and we do we do as we just say we do like her as a character she's a great villain Yes, but it's very important to emphasize she's a great villain. She is a miserable person, and uh, I think the show generally does a pretty good job of making sure that you understand that and that, you know, they don't really excuse the fact that she is, you know, kind of a horrible monster. Right. That'll do it for Curious Cats. We got a couple more, but they're for the next episode. Uh, thank you for sending those in, by the way. I'm always, I'm, it's always encouraged. Whenever you have something to send in, just send it in. We'll get around to it when it's relevant. Um, it's just nice to have those already locked in the chamber. Yes. We've got one question on Twitter. Uh, this is from at TrashPandaO. I believe that's an O and not a zero. Who says, Thoughts on the parallels between Light Hope and Adora versus Shadow Weaver and Catra. Both are manipulating emotions to steer them towards their destiny, Adora, and their emotional destruction. Catra. Yeah, she. We talked. We won't get too much into this because we that does get into 
some spoiler territory if we go too far, but already, like we said, the parallels are being set up here between these two characters. Shadow Weaver's goal with Adora was always to make her the the sort of spearhead of the horde, the the great warrior who would who would end this conflict and and, and plant the flag on Etheria for the horde, thus winning Shadow Weaver's war. Very similarly, Light Hope is all about having Adora fulfill this grand destiny of balancing the planet and and stopping the horde from from harming it. And as we said, their their methodology to to guide Adora is remarkably similar in how manipulative it is, for sure. Yeah, there's like there's quite a lot of very similar manipulation tactics. Like um, like earlier touched on the 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 physicality aspect of it. Like Light Hope putting her hand on Adora's shoulder while she's like simultaneously like reassuring her but also like manipulating her to kind of understand that she's she has a higher responsibility to to uphold like honestly like a little chilling when i saw that because i was like oh yeah that's that's a very very heavily visually coded thing in this show and you know the just the ways that both of these sort of mentor characters operate it's it's remarkably similar like light hope showing all of these these visions uh to kind of manipulate uh adora's emotions almost identical to how shadow weaver's done uh very similarly like you know reminding katra of like her past failures or you know that sort of thing and using that to kind of get her way with her it's like yeah these these characters function more or less the same i mean shadow weaver did all of that stuff with the disembodied voices in episode seven to adora like it is very it is the same playbook it's just that light hope uses you know factual memories to leverage this and and shadow weaver makes stuff up to sort of prey on adora's mental insecurities but yeah they they are pulling from the same playbook but light hope is just a little bit not not as good at it due to the fact that she's a, a robot and doesn't really get that deep interpersonal stuff but luckily she has access to a giant first one's uh, trauma projection machine so it's fine yeah, that kind of that's kind of her uh, ace in the hole a little bit, and it works pretty well uh, for quite a while. But with that, I think we uh, we've come to the end of our question post. Uh, if you would uh, like to follow our, our our Twitter, where we post the 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 question uh, requests and all of that sort of stuff, and where I will be later posting the Glimmer Pog image. If anyone would like to see that, you can find that at Podcast of Power on Twitter. We also have a Tumblr that would be potofpower.tumblr.com, which is used a little bit less, but I'm sure eventually I will find something to use those social media presences for. Uh, if you have a uh, question to send in, we have a curious cat, which is on our on our Twitter. Uh, if you have a longer form question, we have an email address, which is I believe it is potofpower at gmail.com. Uh, it's with any comments, questions, or uh, screeds about freeing the horse Letariat, all are welcome. 
Yes, and remember we're going to be doing a big uh, bonus recap episode with all of those emails uh, at the end of the season. So if you have uh, anything you want to talk about, feel free to uh, drop it in. Yes, Um, but with that, I think we're about ready to head into the spoiler zone. For those of us who are following us uh, there, you'll see you hear us in a bit. Uh, For those of you who are stopping here, we'll see you next week. Yes, see you then. So, where do we start here? I think we should start with Light Hope. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's dig into the meat of Light Hope a little bit here because this does. Well, she doesn't have any meat. She's a hologram. That's true. That's a good point. Let's dig into the light of Light Hope a little bit here. She kind of launches right into it. Like I was really surprised uh, with this episode, just how fast she dives into like the manipulation and the using all of the the memories um, and and the trauma machine to like leverage Adora. Like like that stuff comes up a lot later. You know when when we start getting the understanding that Light Hope is like kind of a dangerous character here, but the seeds of that are you know honestly not even the seeds the saplings are planted right here like big gigantic massive red flags planted right in the dirt yeah i kind of forgot how ominous she already starts even before we get into all of this stuff she has later she's already going out the gate just 100 percent completely lying to adora's face all the time it is kind of remarkable rewatching this and seeing just how she there was no sort of build-up for her this is just her start point and and adora has to slowly unravel these lies over the course of the episode there's like light hope is a fascinating character because of the position she holds as a mentor as yet another just horrible terrible mentor for a character uh because while she does teach adora a lot of useful stuff like how to control the sword uh the sword transformations and the heal people. Well, actually, no, she doesn't teach Adora that. Shadow Weaver teaches her how to heal people. Oh, I forgot about that, actually. Um, so Light Hope didn't even teach her that. No, Light Hope is just only interested in one thing about Adora. She does not care about Adora other than the fact that she can wield the Sword of Protection, which means that she can fire the Heart of Etheria, which means that her mission can finally be complete. That is it. Yes, that she is a means to an end. And there are like, there are still glimmers of her being like, self deterministic and having her own thoughts. Like you can, you can kind of see that a little bit in this episode. Like she has some emotions, she is like, willing to care about Adora a little bit. But you know, as we kind of go deeper into the show, and especially after the episode, where we learn about her and Mara's kind of interpersonal relationship. You know, once she deletes all that stuff, it's kind of, that's kind of all out the window. She kind of just deletes her personality and is like, all right, full steam ahead. And we don't see any more glimpses of it, actually, until literally the last time we ever see her, um, where Adora is going to shatter the sword 
and she's kind of busting through her programming just a little bit like you know please destroy the sword like interrupting herself asking her not to and like saying no please do it right the the tragedy of of light hope is that she was you know unable to overcome her sense of duty like she was very close with mara she did break the rules for her very frequently but eventually either her main programming took over or someone tampered with her but she just became this emotionless like weapon to to wield against the horde and yet there's always that sparkle of the real light hope beneath all of that the one we see when she loses her memory in that spore storm where she's acting all goofy and we see that clip of her and Mara. We, we see her in Mara's flashback acting like that and, and in her final moments we see that. And it is Shadow Weaver, uh, her and Shadow Weaver, you know, similarly Shadow Weaver is all about her, her goals. She is very ambitious. She is very goal-oriented, always working towards gaining herself more power. Or gaining others' power in the case of season four, where she spends all of, all of her time trying to convince Glimmer to harness the power of the Heart of Etheria, because secretly what she wants to do is use the Heart of Etheria. Yes, exactly. And I, I want to go back just for a second, because I want to touch on what you just said about um, the sense of duty thing, because I think that's a really, really important way to look at it, because there's... A lot of themes um, that are touched on in the show, you know, uh, we're both really big fans of themes. Love, love a good theme. Can't get enough of a good theme. Love, love me some eighth grade book reports. Yes, uh, the best kind of book reports. Um, but yeah, so there's there's a very specific theme uh, when it comes to Adora of duty versus the self, right? Like you have this very uh, internal and external conflict where Adora believes and is led to believe that she has a much greater sense of duty and responsibility um, than anyone else has and that it is entirely up to her to to save the the world and the universe and etc and uh, light hope is in a lot of ways kind of the physical manifestation like the representation of this mentality of duty over all else and i think that it's a really good like mechanism for exploring that you know because you know this this administrative ai this you know sort of robot lady uh being the kind of emotionless representation of of duty but also simultaneously uh, a representation of the suppression of the self that duty inflicts on you the little tiny brief moments that you can see that there is a self trapped within her that just gets buried repeatedly by this overwhelming crushing programming that she's under and it's a path that adora herself could have very easily gone down and you see like a very similar pathway with a few other characters and and their own themes like you know Katra could have become shadow weaver you know in that way and um it's it's just it's a really really interesting way to kind of explore these uh these themes i that's a really good read on her yeah she's light hope you know she's not really 
she's in the show not as much as you would think, but she's very, very impactful. Um, we should go on to talk a little bit more about uh, the heart of Etheria, because one of the things I was impressed by with this episode was how early this stuff is being seeded. Like... Yeah, and Trader talks about how the tech goes all the way down to the planet's core. We are all right. We are starting here. This is stuff that's not going to get revealed until season four, and we're not going to see until the very last episode. Yeah, exactly. Like this, this is stuff that really the groundwork is being laid here uh, dramatically ahead of time. And like, there's a lot of thematics we could talk about with the heart of Etheria itself, but I definitely want to save all of that for uh, heart the heart episode because i think there's a lot you can you can go into with that but for now i'm just very impressed that it it, it is so you know early late it, it, it goes to show that the show wasn't you know they did not wing this one this was all written from from the the start or at least they they had a very good idea of where they were going uh from the beginning yeah no they they had a very clear roadmap and the thing is, like, you can you can take a look at the show and you can tell that, like, you know, not everything was written ahead of time. And honestly, you can't even really do that when it comes to a production like this. Uh, but they definitely had, like, the plot basically set in stone before they kind of hopped into it. Like, the general themings, the, the kind of critical path, like, the lore of it, that was all solidified. And that is... You know, that's that's a good way to do it, right? Is lay the groundwork early and kind of feed this trail of breadcrumbs, like you were saying before. Just kind of, like, build on it and, and, and leave in the viewer's mind, like, this feeling of, like, curiosity to see what's happening next. But also this feeling of, like, dread because you know that there's something deeper and more sinister going on the whole time just right under the surface. Yeah, like there's all these, you know, the 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 end is it's a big it's a it's a pretty big ending, but it's all it's all laid out from the beginning here. The pathway is all it, it ends up being very clear. The runway is being paved the entire show over the course of the entire show. So there's one more aspect of this episode that we should hate here, and that is Swiftwind himself, because it he is a really interesting character, like. Like we said, we we had a very negative first impression of him because we always think of the funny animal companion as someone who is just shoved in for cheap comic relief or to to sell toys or whatever. But Swiftwind really really doesn't fit any of those um, markers at all. Swiftwind is very different. Yeah, like I I definitely had. A very negative reaction to Swift one at first but like honestly even in this episode like it really turned me around especially the last conversation where he gives the door that pep talk like I was like okay well they could have gone like a, a very different route and had him do like you know some sort of like funny goof but like no he was like genuine and serious and gave her like a like a genuinely good piece of advice and like there was still like an aspect of comedy to it but it was very much like 
a heartfelt moment and it came from a talking horse which is like really impressive i think and you like this is not the first time or well this is the first time but this is not the last time that that's gonna happen like they give swiftquin honestly a decent amount of material to work with and while he doesn't really come back to the comrade Swiftwind that we know in this episode, like that kind of tapers off sadly, but he he just becomes this very interesting and genuinely necessary and valued member of the supporting cast. I often, you know, obviously he is a comic character. He's very funny, um, but he has a surprising amount of very heartfelt moments with Adora in particular. I, I think a lot about when he is just sort of sending messages out to her in uh, in space, just kind of blindly hoping that she'll she'll get it when she's off uh, saving Glimmer and Catra. Like she, uh, he, he his his connection with Adora is something that that really does deepen over the course of the show. Um, one thing I, I I wonder is like, does Swiftwind sort of embody the side of Adora that is a little bit more the side of Adora that is more carefree and 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 wants to just sort of uh be be done with the shackles of duty because like obviously he's his own character but his his it, it, he is part of a duality with Shira and Adora and he is always the one who's up for some comic mischief he loves to do loop-de-loops he's always eating apples he's he's free in the horse letariat he is someone who is not beholden to really anything at all other than his connection with Shira. He he stays and helps because he wants to. Yeah, that's that's a really good point. I think that's that's a good read too. Just this idea of like him being the other sort of more repressed half of Adora, the part of Adora that doesn't want or feel beholden to um, that sense of duty as well. And I actually just had this thought like. You know, Swiftwim being this representation of um, Adora's kind of repressed self is really similar, I think, to the way Milog kind of becomes this this uh, mirror of of Catra, this window into Catra's true emotions later on in in season five when uh, when they're introduced. Right, like yeah, we we goof. Oh yeah, Catra finally gets gets her own animal psychic. But yeah, you're right. That is Milog's sort of purpose. Milog is the is makes it so that Catra can no longer hide her emotions from anyone. Um, Any time she tries to put up that old aloof mask, it just straight up doesn't work because Milog is there to foil it. Like Milog is there to prevent her from from sliding back into those bad habits. Milog is there to force her to confront and 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 do some introspection into herself something that she is very very bad at doing over the course of this show like when when she is running uh running away in the heart part one and milog just pins her down like just flops down on her and, and forces her to just sort of confront her feelings i think swiftwind doesn't exactly fill that role but he is definitely someone who is there to sort of chafe against Adora's sense of duty while also being someone she she is very friendly with that she does rely on quite a lot over the course of the show yeah exactly exactly I think that I think generally yes yeah, Swiftwind fulfills a lot of the same the same roles here like 
especially certainly in this episode, like very strongly just like as this foil to Adora's self-destructive tendency to give in to this sense of duty, this Atlas complex that she has. And, you know, Swiftwind's just like, that's really stupid. Don't, don't think like that. And, you know, just having that, having that, that foil, um, as a, as, you know, the animal companion, like, I think that is an excellent, really brilliant use of of an animal companion. Like, I don't know that I've seen an animal companion handled that way before, actually, just given this really strong, like, narrative foil duty in the in in the show like this this role that they play i haven't seen an animal companion kind of fill that role i think it really like kind of is is breaking like some really interesting uh new grounds for the way that you can do these characters and and it's it's really really fun to see i'm glad that they've put in the the time and effort to really try to really really try with uh with swiftwind because it's like I feel like most other shows wouldn't do that. Like most other shows wouldn't take the the time and effort to really sit down and try and create a character that is the funny animal companion but has like a much greater narrative weight. You know what I mean? I think maybe the only real comparison point might be lion and steven universe but even then lion lion is a weird case because he also he also eventually becomes a foil for lars oh i forgot about that yeah he kind of does doesn't he it it's it it becomes kind of muddled and lost like so much of later uh steven universe does get but like lion is very similarly kind of i think he's more similar to Meadlog than he is to swiftwind as a kind of enigmatic emotional connection lion is more representative of a connection to steven's past than he is a reflection of emotions but i, I think that even that is like that doesn't really get to where swiftwind and Meadlog get in this show certainly not i mean swiftwind is as a swiftwind being a fully voiced character is is certainly one thing that sets him apart as well is you know and, and someone who is also so often used for comedy he is one of the parts of the show like if you were if you were going to look at one of the things in this show that could have easily gone bad and fallen apart, he is like the chief among them. He he is the top of the list to me. He if they messed up on Swiftwind, it would have been real bad. Yeah, that that's kind of like I don't think Swiftwind is necessarily a load bearing character, but I think that Swiftwind is definitely a character that like if you did Swiftwind bad, he would have been like an anchor. Like, you kind of just would have been driving with the anchor down a little bit. Yeah, like, his presence would have been a real annoyance. Luckily, he almost always avoids that, uh, similar to Seahawk. I think the way they accomplish that with Seahawk is understanding that you can't always just deploy Seahawk all the time. You need to be strategic with the Seahawk. Similarly, they are strategic with the Swiftwind. Like we said, he's absent throughout this entire first season they could have had him the whole time flying around in the background and cracking jokes but they took the time to build up the other characters first before throwing this curveball at you of the talking horse yeah they're very strategic about their deployment of certain characters and their and the deployment of the supporting cast and it's and it works out really well something 
that that it does really well is um just the the way that Seahawk and um, Swiftwind specifically kind of work. I think what makes them work the most is the genuineness of their character. Like they are, they do largely fill kind of a, a comedic relief role, but at the same time, they're never. I would never call them the butt of the joke, um, and I wouldn't say that they're characters that exist to exclusively be jokes. They're written in a way that they are extremely genuine. Like they are entirely a hundred percent genuine a hundred percent of the time. They they don't hold anything back. They are, you know, upbeat and you know, nothing gets couched with them. They they are a hundred percent face value all the time. And I think that's a really strong way to do it. Cause you can have sometimes these situations where you have like a character who is uh, comedic relief, um, but it's done in such a way as that like their entire sort of internal sphere and their emotions are kind of hidden, either deliberately or because they just don't have any. But because Seahawk and Swiftwind kind of wear their emotions on their sleeve, or I guess in Swiftwind's case, um, Hoof, you just kind of, you get this very strong sense of, of character and this very strong sense that, you know, they are a very valuable addition uh, to the supporting cast. Yeah, absolutely. You can hit it right on the head there. The as we've said before, the the reason Shira works is that it always respects its characters and their emotions uh, before anything else. And I think to make a show like this, you really have to do that for sure, for sure. But uh, with that, um, I think that's gonna wrap us up for today. Went a little bit long there, but we ended up having a bit more to talk about than we thought. Um, partially due to all of those questions, once again. Thank you, everyone, for sending those in. Thank you for all the engagement, for all the, the continued listening. It's It really has been quite something watching the numbers go up. Um, a little bit overwhelming, but in a good way. Yeah, exactly. Like, it is a little overwhelming, but, like, it is, it's very exciting, too. Like, I'm really, really happy um, that everyone is, is getting a lot out of this. Like, you know this this like what like i said earlier this kind of started as just like you know two friends kind of like we should just talk about shira on a podcast because we can't shut up about it and you know it's it's really nice to see that there's a lot of people who are really interested in it just like we are and that you know ever there's a lot of people who are interested in like this more analysis heavy themes reading um which is you know that's kind of kind of our bread and butter here absolutely we were deep diving into the themes, the characters, and all that stuff. Um, and, you know, next week we have a great episode. We got the season finale. We got Battle of Bright Moon. Some very entertaining questions about that episode uh, in the chamber already. But that's not until next week. Until then, I have been one of your hosts, Nero. And I've been the other host, Jane. And we'll see you on the other side of Podcast Spondos.